1: Pastor Taylor just mentioned, I'm Shane, I serve as the administrative pastor here at Sunrise and occasionally part of our teaching team, and it's my pleasure to lead the next in our series called Joyful Exiles. And as I get started tonight, I wonder how many of you are familiar with the concept of dunking on social media? Uh, The concept comes from basketball. I'm sure that you're familiar with the idea of a slam dunk in basketball. And who doesn't get joy at seeing your favorite player simply posterize somebody, you know, like our man Dame, you know, right there, you know. That That's where it comes from. But on social media, the idea of, of how this works is, say somebody uh, posts or, or tweets something on Twitter, and then somebody else comes and grabs that and then adds to it something provocative or even better, embarrassing. And that's the idea of you dunk on that person. And then what happens is a whole bunch of other people get on the proverbial bandwagon and the, and the thing goes viral for all the wrong reasons. Well, not long ago, in fact, a couple years ago, this was featured on the online magazine Slate, this concept of donkey and how it began to take over Twitter. And in fact, all the way now, a couple years later, it is the prominent activity on Twitter it, you can think of this as a, as a modern-day public shaming, and, and in, in the election season we're in right now, I mean, this has gone to whole new levels, all the way up to the highest levels of government and media, this sport of dunking on social media. And of course, it's not really even just on social media anymore. I mean, as, our, as protests of all kinds have captured our attention over the last several months, and as, as these different groups of uh, the different ideas come and they clash, and, and it isn't even just about sharing of ideas or even sharing the ideas we like. It's about getting up on and, and being better than and even using violence against another group. Now, now I'm not here to, to advocate for one particular side or another particular side as far as what we're talking about. I'm here today to talk about how we engage in such conversations, how we participate. And so just a couple of questions to consider as we get started. Do battle lines that you draw based on a particular issue or political view cause you to denigrate others, other people made in God's image simply because they disagree with you? Are you more concerned about whether a particular political party or candidate wins the upcoming election? Are you more interested in that than in following Jesus' example of loving your enemies and caring for those who are poor and powerless and on the margins of life? You know, these questions... They're the modern-day equivalent of what the Apostle Peter was addressing with the people he called temporary residents or exiles in his letter that we call 1 Peter in our Bibles. And so if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. It's near the end of your Bible. We'll be in chapter 1 today. Pastor James has been highlighting the past several weeks that this city, this country, this earth that we live in is not our home. We are not permanent residents. As followers of Jesus, we are citizens of heaven. We are not permanent residents here. And also, we're not tourists here either. It's not the point just to have the best time we can with the time that we have allotted here either. No, we are temporary residents, is what Peter tells us. And as Pastor James described last week, the context of 1 Peter is one of suffering and difficulty. Peter doesn't share any details, but we can know from other literature of the time, from source documents, that, that the people he's addressing here either were already or were about to experience suffering and hardship in ways beyond our capacity simply for being followers of Jesus. And Peter was not writing to take away the suffering or hardship, rather than to encourage them and to strengthen them and to teach them how to live in light of suffering and difficulty. And so the passage we're going to look at today tightly focuses on what happens in each of us when we are experiencing hardship and difficulty, and then how what happens inside of us flows out of us and how we respond externally. So what happens internally and then how that affects how we respond externally. So we're going to begin in verse 13 of chapter 1. But before we do, I just want to take a moment to pray for us. Spirit of God, believing that you exist, that you reward those who seek you, we're going to turn to this book today, this letter written thousands of years ago and yet speaks just as strongly to us today as when it was written. Would you help us hear what you have to say? Would you help us receive it? And would you help us to change in light of it, believing in Jesus and praying in his name? Amen chapter 1 of 1 Peter, beginning in verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Now that, that passage starts with the word so, or maybe in your Bibles the word therefore, and that means it links back to what Peter had just finished talking about, which is what Pastor James was looking at last week, and that's the idea of suffering. Now, to help us understand what's going on in this passage, I'm going to take what, what will seem like a couple of detours into counseling psychology and body physiology. I'm going to do that not only because that's, I'm fascinated by that stuff, but also because I believe that there are ways that we approach passages like this in our Bibles that, at best, are unhelpful and, at worst, can be harmful to our souls. See, in the world of counseling, we talk about the fact that there are three areas of change. There's our thoughts, there's our affections, and there's our, and there's our behaviors. In other words, when we talk of changing, we talk of thinking differently, or feeling differently, or acting differently. And the reason I highlight that is because Peter talk, has the same thing going on in this passage. In fact, I just took the passage, I put it all on one slide here so you can see it, and I may not can read it, but I want you to see it because I highlighted the different, the different colors here. First of all, you have in the red, you have those are thinking words, right? And in the yellow, we have those are action words or behavior words. And in the, well, I guess we'll call it peach in three different places, you'll, you'll have, uh, these are affection words, now, as I, as I said earlier, when we approach passages this way, we often do so in a way that is unhelpful and even dangerous to our souls. And where I think we go wrong with a passage like this is we focus on the thinking and the acting. We focus on the thinking and, and the acting. And in doing so, we overlook the affections. And so what happens is we end up creating these action plans in order how to think better and how to act better. And we get busy in trying to accomplish that because after all, we need to get holy, right? We need to be holy, which we interpret as meaning being perfect, which means we think right and we act right. And so we try really hard to make sure we're thinking right and acting right. And you know what we get for all that effort? Rather than becoming more like Jesus we easily become more like the very people Jesus condemned the most. For example, in in Matthew chapter 23, we hear these difficult words from from Jesus. He, he, He says this, he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly, in, in your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, Jesus' central focus, not only in this passage, but in, in all of his teaching. And in fact, I would say the Bible's central focus, as much as it does talk about the thoughts and as much as it does talk about behaviors, its central focus, Jesus' central focus, is on the heart. in the heart is the realm of our affections. Now we go back to the passage that, that we just looked at with Peter what we actually find if you're in the original language how it's structured in, in other words in other words how it's arranged by Peter puts a central focus not on the thoughts and the behaviors but actually on the affections in fact the kind of the high point of this particular section is this phrase right here live in reverent fear and whenever you see this idea of reverent fear of God in the Bible this is the idea that we're in total awe we're 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 dumbstruck if if you will, at the grandeur, the wonder, how big and how good God is. thats is This is about worship, and worship, my friends, is about the heart. Worship is the realm of the heart. What, what this is talking about here, the reverent fear, this is about who rules in your innermost places, in your heart. Now, when you read the word heart in the Bible, in the original language of Hebrew and in Greek, you know, it's not talking about just something ethereal. It's actually talking about your physical self. This, this part of, this central part of who you are, it's a very physical words that are used. And I find that fascinating in light of recent research on gut and heart health. And so here's where I'm just gonna geek out a little bit on body physiology. For example, did you know that your heart and your gut contain millions upon millions of neurons which are the information processing cells in your body. We mostly think of those in our, in our brains, and there's a ton of them there too. But they're in our heart and our gut as well. And, and so scientists are, are beginning to believe that, that, these, that the heart and the gut are actually knowledge sources in addition to the brain. And there's all sorts of connections, nerve connections between our heart and our gut and the lower part of your brain, which, by the way, processes your emotion, the lower and the middle part of your brain. In fact, again, some scientists believe that the connection is stronger between your heart and your gut and the emotional part of your brain, the middle and lower part of your brain, than between the emotional part of your brain and the thinking part of your brain. Now, I find that all fascinating because that's the area that the Bible is talking about when it's talking about the heart. This is the realm of our will, of our emotions, of our feelings, of our desires, of our cravings and of our intuition. For example, have you ever walked into your room, into a room, and your body just kind of goes haywire in a way that you have no idea why, at least not at first? Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden your gut starts spinning or your heart starts beating really fast for no apparent reason? Or or maybe you've experienced a sudden, overwhelming flood of panic even though nothing immediately dangerous seemed to have happened in the room around you, this, my friends, is the, is the area of what the Bible calls the heart, what's going on. The heart has, has knowledge that the brain does not have. The heart stores memories in the way that the brain does not. Now, here's why I rumpf- uh, emphasize this. It's because if you want to live well and follow Jesus, especially, especially during times of suffering and hardship, you need to know your heart. You need to know this realm of your affections. You need to know, in other words, what's motivating your thoughts and your behaviors. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to realize this is not an easy task. As the writer of the Proverbs says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep waters and a man of understanding will draw it out. But this is not an easy process. So first we realize it's difficult and this is going to take some diligence, some attention. And so second what I want to highlight is we follow Peter's instructions. Now Peter says to prepare your minds for action and to exercise self-control. Self-control. Now, preparing your mind for action, that involves using your God-given ability to pay attention to what's going on in you, to pause and ask before you act, hopefully, but sometimes while you're acting, sometimes after you act, but to ask yourself, what is motivating me right now? What is motivating me right now? What emotions, what desires, what cravings, what dreams, what hopes are fueling my behavior? What is it by my actions that I can kind of follow back and see what my actions are saying about in this moment what's most important to me? Again, that's something going on in my affections. In other words, we use the wonder of our thinking minds, our brains, to understand our interior world and then grow in our ability to act based on a worshipful heart rather than a self-gratifying heart. Now, some of you may be feeling a little uncomfortable with my focus on emotions because you learned along the way that emotions are dangerous. Emotions lead you astray, right? Maybe you've heard that. We need the the truth and we need to act on truth. And you know what? Uh, Those are very good Warnings, those are good cautions for sure. So I'd like to make a a distinction here when it comes to feelings or emotions and truth. I would say it this way. Feelings tell the truth about what is going on in you, but are lousy at telling the truth about what right actions to take next okay? Emotions will tell you what's going on. In fact, what I like to say is emotions are like the light on the dashboard of your car letting you know that something's going on in the engine. That's what emotions are doing. Emotions are letting you know what's going on in your heart. They're telling you the truth about that. So it's good to pay attention. Emotions are the language of the heart. And as a pastor and a counselor, here's what I've observed Whether you realize it or not, much of your behavior and much of my behavior is geared toward ridding ourselves of uncomfortable emotions. Much of our behavior is geared toward ridding ourselves of uncomfortable and unwanted emotions. In other words, you feel angry, you feel sad, you feel afraid, you feel jealous, you feel hopeless, and who wants to feel that, right? And so you start to act in, in ways that are trying to get rid of that discomfort, that uncomfortable feeling. Then if you, when you add on top of that pain and stress and oppression and difficult circumstances, and our emotions dramatically increase our sense of personal distress. Who wants that? I mean, do I have a witness in the congregation, right? Especially in these times. And then, and then we have our go-to behaviors that we seek to, to try to get rid of those uncomfortable and unwanted emotions. Maybe you yell or, or or take it out on somebody verbally. Maybe physically. Maybe you turn to try to anesthetize it, to cover it over, to get rid of it through addictions of of all sorts of things. We'll be we'll, we'll make addictions out of anything to cover over that. You know, maybe you hide. Or pretend or blame i mean we have a thousand different things that we do to to purge ourselves to, to get rid of these uncomfortable emotions or in peter's words in first peter you turn to your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires like you used to do before you knew any better so you may still be wondering, yeah, but, but what do I do instead? I mean, how, how, do, I, how do I work through this? How do, I, how do I prepare my mind for action? How do I exercise self-control? How, how do I put my hope in the salvation that comes to us in Jesus? In other words, how do you, how do I mature toward, uh, how do we grow towards maturity and toward holiness? Well, I've started I've started looking at how do I change personally and how do I help others change as a pastor and a counselor by using the acronym ACT. Use the acronym ACT. Act in the power of the Spirit. You see, when we give our lives to Jesus, the Spirit of God is, 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 comes and lives inside of us. That's the promise. And then begins to help us change from the inside out. And the, associate, the place that's associated with the work of the Spirit is the heart. And so we act, and the act is an acronym here, in the power of the Spirit. So the ACT acronym, A, stands for accept. Accept the reality of the present moment with non-judgmental awareness. And what I mean by that is is accept the present moment. You know, we spend so much time trying to escape the present moment by focusing on the past or the future that we don't actually know what's going on in this moment. We're not facing what's going on in the moment, especially when what's going on inside of us or around us is uncomfortable and unwanted. And so with what's called non-judgmental awareness, I just I pay attention to what is right here. Not what used to be, not what might be, not what I would prefer to be, but what is. And I pay attention to it not to say, is this okay, is this right, is this wrong? No, just to say what is. And then I would add, to worship God right here with what is trusting what is to the only one who can who can who who, who who made this moment because here's the reality when it comes to change it's a paradox radical acceptance of the present reality is the primary ingredient for effective change radical acceptance of the present moment is the primary ingredient for effective change. I have to come to terms with this moment. And so when I learn to worship God right here, that is the language of lament. The Psalms, in particular, teach us how to lament, how to worship when because we need to understand that because many times our heart state is actually in a place of distress. And we can worship there. That's what the Psalms invite us to do. So accept the reality of the present moment with non-judgmental awareness and worship God right here. So that's the A. The C is to commit to your values, to commit to your values. You see, our hearts are geared toward happiness, towards joy. That's that's the orientation. That's why we were made is for joy. The lie is, is that we believe happiness is based on pleasant circumstances. Now, both the Bible and scientific evidence says otherwise. Both the Bible and social science research agree we are most likely to be happy when we know our values and when we act according to our values now what this means is taking the time to answer the big questions in life i don't know if you've answered it satisfactorily for you but decide the big questions like who am i (laughs) i think a better question is whose are you Uh, why are we here what is this life all about That is the realm of values. Now, when we think about this, it isn't just intellectual answers. It isn't just knowing information. This is about what we cling to for life. This is a heart issue. This is what... Joshua was speaking to to the nation of Israel in his closing words in the book known as Joshua in the Bible. This is what he says. He says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. So there's our fear of the Lord. Remember, that's that worship, that's that awe, that's that wonder of who God is, and serve him wholeheartedly from a whole devoted heart to God. Put away forever your idols. In other words, anything else you might worship. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates rivers and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today the whom you will serve. If it's the gods of your ancestors, serve beyond the Euphrates, okay. It will be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, okay. In other words, still know your values and follow your values. But Joshua is saying, no, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord because that's who we've given ourselves to wholeheartedly. That's the core value that we have. You know, Peter makes a similar admonition a few verses later in chapter one of of his letter. In verse 21, it says, Through Christ you have come to trust in God. That's a heart issue right there. You have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. Those are all, those are all the value statements. Yes, I believe that. Yes, that happened. Yes, I'm going to live based on that. Okay, so let, show severe love for each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. That would be what's in line with what you say you believe. So that's commit to your values, that's the C. And then the, the T in it is take effective action. Take effective action. And that's based on your values rather than on your feelings and on your thoughts. Remember what I said earlier, a lot of our behavior is based on trying to get rid of certain feelings, trying to escape certain thoughts. If, we are gonna be most likely to be happy to live satisfaction in life, to experience joy when you act according to your values. So this is really what I think repentance is all about. You wander away. We all do this. We wander away from what we believe. And then as soon as we recognize it, you turn and return back to what you value, back to following Jesus, back to our eyes on God, back to wholeheartedly worshiping. Then we wander again. Then we turn back. And we take the next effective step towards what we say we believe. So that's acting in in the power of the Spirit. What's the next step you can take to live out your values? Now, you may still be wondering, yeah, but, but what does that actually look like? You know, and one thing, when I, when I teach here on Sundays, I want whatever I say here to be something that you can put into practice on Monday morning, you know, when you get up, whether you're going to work or going to school or staying home, what we all seem to be doing these days, what can, does this work then? And so I, I thought I would take something that's vexed me for several weeks now, in fact, several months, and, uh, and just kind of work through how I've processed it. I, I bet you can relate. least in some ways, because it involves these, the wearing of masks. Now, uh, I've, I've read widely about these, and I've done my research, and I've come to the conclusion that wearing these masks really doesn't do a lot for us when it comes to fighting the virus. Now, That is not a political statement. I'm not telling you what to do. And I am fully admit right here, I could be horribly wrong, okay? So get all those caveats out of the way. I'm just saying that's the conclusion that I've come to. Now, in the words of my grandfather, uh, I would say wearing masks is horse hockey. Now, I actually thought that. That thought actually came to my mind when I was thinking about this earlier. And then I thought, I don't even know what that means. And so I went and looked it up on the internet, and you know what it means? Poop. Now, that has nothing to do with anything that I'm in this message at all, but I just thought maybe saying poop as a sermon would be a good thing. In fact, parents, I think I just did you a favor because now you can get your kids maybe to listen to this message because you can tell them. The pastor said poop in the message. And you notice that I did this near the end of my message, so I just did you a favor right there. I probably should just get busy with what I'm supposed to be talking about here. So. What I think is that wearing of masks is kind of the placebo effect where we want to be able to do something where it seems like I'm doing something to protect myself, to protect those that I love from this very real, unseen, unpredictable virus. And not only that, I think wearing the mask is very uncomfortable. I feel claustrophobic when I'm talking to people. I don't know are all the time. So, if you don't get the idea here, I just want to say it clearly. I really, 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 really. Really, 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 really do not like wearing masks. Okay? Is that clear? Now, let's walk through this. That's accept- when I accept the present reality. We're in the land of the virus. We're in the land where we have been, we have been given guidelines to wear masks. Uh, we're invited to do that in order to help take care of other people. Okay? So that's the environment I live in. And I accept the reality of I don't like it. But then I pay attention. And you know what? All those other things that I just said are true, but you know what's really true? You know what? In fact, you know what? That is at the core of the core of why I don't want to wear a mask. My pride. I don't like other people telling me what to do. I I want to run my life, and I don't want anybody to tell me what I can and can't do. That's at the core. And you know what? When I act and when I think based on my pride, things don't go well. I, what ends up happening is I act like I used to act, trying to satisfy my own desires like I did before I knew any better, before I, like I did before I decided to follow Jesus. So that's where I accept and I pay attention. Yep, that's real. That's what's going on. Then I commit to my values. So then I take the time to say, what do I want most in this world? And I'll tell you, I want most, more than anything else, to follow Jesus. I want to worship the God of the universe with all my heart. That's my core value. I want to study the the person of Jesus and the works of Jesus and and the, the teachings of Jesus so much that my life displays that, which means I'm going to pay attention to things like Jesus said, like, you know, respect and obey the governing authorities, okay, like gain my life by losing it, like love my neighbor as myself, and then you know what I do? I take effective action, which means I put on my mask. And I do so with a glad heart because I'm living out my values. I'm following Jesus in the way that I, the way that I can and most honor him. Small thing, yeah, it's a small thing. It's not suffering. It's not hardship, you know. It's an irritation. But what I do believe is That in those small things, when we go through that process that really doesn't take all that long on a small thing, what we learn is how to go through such a process on the big things. And and whereas something like that only takes me a couple of minutes to go through, maybe to process, when I talk about a big struggle or a big hardship or a big difficulty, that could take a while, but the process is still the same. So I don't know what it is for you today. You know, maybe for you it is the masks, just like it is me. Uh, Maybe in this season, what you need to pay attention to is your actions and your reactions on social media. Maybe for you, you need to take a look at the joy you get from watching somebody get dunked on who doesn't believe the same things you do. Maybe for you, it's facing the fact that what's motivating your behavior right now mostly is fear, and that's causing you to act mostly in self-preservation rather than following Jesus who says we serve those that are on the margins no matter what's going on around us. So I don't know what it is for you today. I don't know where you're at. But what I do know is that following Jesus, we, we can't do this only alone. We can't do it alone. We need each other in this. We need the church. And so this is This is why I just want to draw us back to what what Pastor Taylor talked about a little earlier, and the idea of groups. We live out community as a church here at Sunrise. We always have been, and we are right now, through groups. We can do that under the guidelines that we have. We can meet together safely. So let's do so, because living this out, we need the love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what I want to do now is just with everything that I just talked about, I want you to hear from Marty Hogstad, who is our discipleship director, who oversees all our groups and from several of our leaders as they talk about what they love about groups. Let's watch.
2: Hi, Sunrise. I'm Marty Hogstad, and I'm the discipleship director here at Sunrise Church. What that means is I get the privilege of overseeing the small group ministry here at Sunrise. So how do you get involved in what's a small group? For those of you that are new to church, a small group is simply that a small group of people, of believers that come around the Word of God, fellowship together, grow together more in their love for each other as well as for God. Isn't that what we all want? And then we get to fellowship together, we get to just do life together, and of course, pray together. So that's what a small group looks like. So we have online and in person small groups, especially in this season. And speaking of this season, if there's anything that I've learned or God has been teaching me, it's that the deep need that I have for community is just so much more important now, and I value it so much more. So that leads me to say to you, there's no better time than this season to get involved in a small group at Sunrise. And again, you can go online at isunrise.com groups, and again, we have in-person and uh, online groups, as well as a hybrid model where you could actually do both in some of our groups. There's co-ed community groups, there's recovery groups, men's and women's group. But I'm excited to introduce uh, in a minute here some of our small group leaders who are leading groups at Sunrise. And they're going to answer the question, why is community so important to you?
0: Community is important, uh, I think, specifically in the body, because that's where true growth happens. I know for me, I can be in a sermon and hear uh, a word from God or be in corporate worship, and that's really good. But uh, it's in the one-on-one interactions and in the small groups that uh, I've really felt uh, God healing wounds. I've seen him working in people's lives, and uh, I've built relationships where i found accountability and uh, lifelong companionship. I think community is important because we need each other. And when typically we're in a group of uh, women and people, we tend to make better choices when we are together and we are growing together.
3: When I was thinking about what community means to me, I heard a quote today and um, really felt like that's the best way to describe it. If trauma of any kind is not processed in and through a community, through relational support, it can end up being com- becoming toxic. And so we need community, we need each other so that we can work through our trauma.
0: Having a community of believers creates unity.
1: Being part of a community can make us feel though we are part of something greater than ourselves. It can give us uh, greater opportunities to connect with people. It can help us grow together in a spiritual walk. It can help us serve one another in a more efficient way and also helps us lead others following the example of Jesus in the gospel. So having a community also helps us reach our goals It makes us feel safe and secure. Every person needs to have a sense of community where you can belong.
3: Throughout the Bible, we see references to where we are admonished to be a community of believers. And in that admonishment, we also are asked to support each other in love, giving love, in being able to encourage good deeds, being able to meet and help each other and support each other in the whole walk of faith and becoming Christ-like. Our group, Thrive, is intending to support people who have been through the divorce or a um, loss of a spouse, and in that we want to form a community that supports them as they begin to reassess and figure out where their life is moving towards Christ-likeness, and we want to support them in that community. So I really believe, not only is the Bible admonish us to be community, but as a church, we need to follow through by being a community for those who need each other.
0: Hello. I think community is, is important because it's where a growing relationship with Jesus Christ takes place. The authors of the book, The Cure, emphasized this point when they wrote, No one matures in bitterness, no one is set free in isolation, and no one can be loved or loved in self-protection. I have come to the realization that I know for a fact that some of the guys that I work with are really out there, literally on an island. They don't have contact with other people, and I, I may be the only contact that they have from Sunrise. And so there's a, there's a, a level of seriousness, especially in the last few months, that I've kind of um, developed, to understand that um, it's really important that I make that time count, that uh, there's accountability there, that, that there's growth there. When they come, um, and there could only be sometimes three or four guys um, that come for a brew crew, but I wanna make it count. Um, sometimes they say that I'm like the guy that herds the cats um, because they wanna go off on tangents, but it's like, listen guys, we're here for a reason. Um, and I have to remind, it, for me, it's super, super important um, to focus on that because I know that contact is super important. Again, um, right now in this environment that we live in, those touch points are sometimes rare. So um, I think the small groups in these individual uh, one-on-one contacts, two-on-one, three-on-one, four-on-one, that's where the, the real change happens. That's where the real growth happens. That's where I can say to a brother, you know, how are you doing? And he can ask me that and we can actually make some progress in our, in our walk of faith. So that's why I do it. Um, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, and uh, I'm going to continue to do it for as long as I possibly can.
1: Well, amen to that. So if, just to summarize today, prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Put your hope in the salvation that is coming to us through Jesus, and how we act in the power of the Spirit. We accept the present reality. We're in this strange COVID land. We commit to our value to follow Jesus together as a community. And then we take effective action, like joining a community group. If that's what you want to do, invite you to go to isunrise.com slash groups. There's more information there. Or maybe you have other things that you need to do to take effective action to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we invite you into this space. Wherever anybody here is listening right now, in a home, maybe somebody else's home, maybe here in the church building, wherever it may be, come, Spirit of God, meet with us right here. Help us to know and to hear and how to apply Peter's words that we might follow you, that we might worship you wholeheartedly, that we might serve you with a singular focus. Help us to understand specifically what that might look like in our lives today, praying and believing in Jesus' name.